Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of season two of Dickinson Forevermore podcast. I am one third of your podcast host, Robin Detman. I'm a director and producer at LDW Films and I'm the producer nerd on this podcast. Hi, I'm Jess. I am a writer, actor, and the resident editing nerd of this podcast. Hi, I'm Jay Red. I'm a photographer. I'm a music producer. And like my queen, Emily Dickinson says, I dwell in possibilities. In this week's podcast for our rewatch, we are taking a deep dive into Dickinson season two, episode nine, I Like a Look of Agony. And episode 10, You Cannot Put a Fire Out. Both were directed by Silas Howard. All right, let's just jump right in. All right, episode nine, I Like a look of agony. All right, so Austin's tea party crisis and Mrs. Dickinson is ready to save the day. She I mean, is she not? It. Did you or did you not love the way that they shot that though? I mean, they shot that like it was oh, a catered man. event with all the overheads. And it made me think like, you know, I'm always laughing at her at being like the things that she's like, I'm a, I'm a perfect housewife and this is what I do. But like, she has got it down to perfection. And who am I? Who am I to say that that is not important? I was, I was absolutely floored. I was like, wow, she is absolutely slaying. It's giving housewife of the year. It's giving, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's giving best, best housewife in new, all of New England. <laughs> I mean, Ship nails it when he says that, you know. Oh yeah, oh, you're, you're a domestic, you're a domestic goddess. Goddess. Okay, how about the shots of the China? I was like, when I was watching it, this oh, so time, I was like, oh my God, I actually had to stop it and look at it. That is so, so, so gorgeous. Okay, so something I noticed in that shot, because uh, mm -hmm. you are talking about the overhead of the China, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Okay, so um, she's in the kitchen and they're using natural light um, for this angle. And in the very first episode of the series they did the same shot with emily and she's like wiping her brow because she had been cutting or she's wiping her eye because she'd been cutting an onion right because they're cooking dinner and they use that same angle same shot same natural lighting and i thought it was a good callback to the first episode um i love how they do the natural lighting right they always have um, oh yeah you know i mean obviously it's not natural lighting it's actually like pumping in a bunch of lights that are daylight co get colored. But I like how everything is, you know, coming from where the window is and there's like just a little bit of fill because you have to have fill. But um, I think they do that naturalistic Tim or. So yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just beautiful, that shot in general. But I mean, all of the blue thematically throughout the series, especially like when you see stuff like the China or the wallpaper where it's more prominent in the Dickinson home, I think all shots where it has that color balance between that that contrast of that what would be natural light juxtaposed to that blue backdrop mm. i think it's always always really nice i just want to say mrs dickinson's ocd <laughs> i can 100 percent relate <laughs> the yes. way she was just adjusting all the china to match the same angle i was like yep i love it <laughs> oh my god that's catering 101 too so i catered for many years and um, that's what you do. Like you spend so much time making sure all the little handles are in the right direction. And, you know, catering, like when we cater, you know, events and stuff like that, that all came from just rich people having servants and stuff or having a Mrs. Dickinson. But it reminded me of that, how you would just painstakingly 
angle everything. It's I'm like, I've yeah. never, I was like, I've never catered in my life, but literally I can relate because that is how I do absolutely everything because I am not a normal human being. <laughs> hey, that, that entire... we normalize things like having to have things going in the same direction. Oh, and literally. yeah. If, no. you it, if you don't do it, who will is what I want to say. Mm -hmm. The rest of us who just like walk through the earth and like move everything around. We need people to straighten things out. <laughs> Mrs. D was a whole mood. Like that whole montage was a mood, right? How Agreed. even how Ship treated her, you're a domestic goddess. She really is. Like who, but not, did, yeah. who did not want that mom energy around? Like, come but, on. Yeah, literally though, not even just in the fact that like, oh, she's a whole mood because of like just that whole montage. The energy she was carrying though, like when all the men in the room were talking, she was like, in my opinion though, she did, she was like baby i'm gonna do it okay and i'm gonna tell you what i think she was and then the boss yeah when she walked out of uh you know with mr dickinson and the you know the little meeting he was having she's like you know what wars wouldn't happen if men just had better manners it's true i mean the whole thing was like she's like walking through it like a boss she's feeling like a boss she's completely validated not by anybody else but just by the fact she knows she's the boss and then edward big surprise puts an ash in that tea that she worked so hard on. And then, yeah, I loved it. That's like one of the first times you see her just turn around and like tell the truth, because it is true. I will just say like Toshiaki showing his appreciation for Mrs. Dickinson was very like subtle, but very cute. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I loved it because, because he was like, actually I'm staying away from caffeine and she still knew what the hell he wanted. And I was like, there we go. Mrs. Dickinson slaying again. She's like mind reading. But it was his reaction. How did you know? <laughs> like, yeah, you were just so happy about it. I was like, goodness yes. gracious. So uh, it was that inflection. It really. It's like when someone brings yeah. me a chocolate chip at work and I'm just like, oh, you How love you me. Know? Yep. <laughs> totally. All right. Little boy Austin lost. Oh, Let's mm. talk about that. Let's talk about how he's starting to lose it over. I love the contrast of him sitting in his little pajamas and his little dressing jacket complaining about how mm -hmm. sue can't do things for him right but at the same time when sam comes he's starting to like think about and stand up to things in a different way he's starting to think about like what the cause and effect of actions and putting good into the world and things like that so i thought that was a great contrast i also think too that he's starting to see the what he sees himself as being like what he represents as being a man is not the same as his father so i think that he's also tapping into that i mean we're gonna see a lot more of that but in this episode there's a, a line between him and austin and i believe it's like pretty much in that second scene between them where they're in the office and edward basically tells him the only reason i made you partner was because you're my son and the perception of the public would be bad if I didn't put make you my partner in this firm. So I think that really also helped get the gears moving in the right direction for Austin. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's one of those things that like if Austin would have put two and two together, instead of trying to keep putting, you know, four and five together and get Sue's love, like he probably would have seen that. <laughs> four he probably and could five. have put this together that like his dad never entrusted him with anything. So I don't know. I love how you're like four and five together. The math is not mathing. <laughs> well, the math is not mathing for Austin, but, but I did really love how he stood up 
I mean, I have other thoughts about it, but I do love that it it did um, propel him to kind of stand up. I do love during that scene, though, how Edward, like, I mean, of course, like, I have mixed emotions about this because he was like, uh, say what you will about Emily, but she has her poems, you know? And like, <laughs> for me, it was like, oh, he's standing up for Emily for a change. But then part of me was like, it's really his wallet talking and not, it's not coming from his heart, I don't believe. Like, and then whenever, like, you know, Austin, like, tried to throw Emily under the bus, right? Kind of trying to deflect, like, hey, I'm not the bad guy. Remember who, who your problem child is, right? Emily. Emily's trying to, she just got published, throwing her under the bus, right? And then Mr. Dickinson was like, well, I guess the times are changing, right? But in my head, I'm like, it's not Mr. Dickinson talking. I really, like, sat there, reversed it a few times. I was like, I was just analyzing. It. I was like, it's his pockets talking. It's his uh -huh. pockets, you know? It's his pockets influenced by Sam that's talking. Absolutely, you know, mm. like obviously that that had a lot to do with how he felt about Emily being published, you know, it was really just the fact that, hey, you know what, like this is going to make my money grow, I guess. Yeah, well, also, you know, Austin has done this too. They kind of use Emily, right? It's like they use her as a defense against other people or as kind of they weaponize it. But do they ever think about how brilliant her poetry is? Neither one of them ever do that, right? Well, I mean, also, we see it at the top of the episode, literally, whenever they're talking about Emily being, you know, uh, hidden away because, you know, she's in shambles because she got published or whatever. And Austin was like, you know, oh, but I saw her. And then, you know. Yeah. And then he recants his story because of their perception. They looked at him like, you did? Yeah. And then part of me is like, he probably did that because he doesn't want them to be like, oh, well, Emily's a crazy one. And then them think that he's the crazy one too, right? But we still don't know if he saw her. We don't know that. Because he, again, Hattie was so, like, he's talking to himself. So I'm not convinced he actually saw her. But Jess, like, what, what did you, there was something you had said along the lines of like, he knew she was in her head or like knew she was having trouble. Yeah, I feel like, like I, this might just be because we all know I'm the resident Austin apologist around here um but I think a part of him recanting his story in front of his parents like that was also out of like a protection for Emily in the sense that he knows she constantly dwells inside of her head he he knows that she does this this is typical behavior of her but that's not something that her parents typically see right it's just the siblings I, that see her be herself I will say I agree with that statement because whenever she was like flipping out a little later in the episode when Fraser shows up he was like let me try to contain my sister but he did it in a very it was weird for me like I feel like there was like underlying like emotions there like he was just trying to do that to protect his sister like oh please don't think my sister's crazy let me just go you know contain this real quick and in a way like I'm gonna be real with you I'm a big sibling I you know I try to do things to protect my little siblings that aren't always in the best light they don't always sound great coming out of my mouth but the intentions behind them are a little different so I guess this is me being an Austin apologist as well. I mean, which I'm usually well, not, kind of which I'm usually not. <laughs> I'm being really quiet right now because I'm just sitting here shaking my head. I don't think any of that was going on. I didn't get any of that myself, but I don't know. But I did not get any of that. I feel like Austin is in self-preservation mode. 
I think it was the first thing oh, he absolutely is. that everybody yeah. looked at him and he's like, oh, I don't want to appear crazy too. <laughs> I don't think he was protecting Emily because also nobody knew she thought she was invisible or she was invisible. Like nobody knew that. She hasn't said that to anybody. So he's not protecting her. I think he's protecting himself. He's finding his way. But right now he's in the beginning of like having those conflicts of like really seeing what his dad, what his dad thinks of him. And then seeing what his dad is doing with Sam and commenting on it. And then he's trying to think about like, you know, we're going to see this later, right? Everything turns to dust or everything breaks that he touches. So I think he's like about to crack. So. I was just going to say kind of propelling forward through the episode. I mean, we see that, that conversation that we were talking about previously between Sam and Edward and Austin. Right. And they discussed John Brown and the power of publicity and the looming rise of the American Civil War. Yeah. But one line that stood out the most for me in that scene really was when Sam said, wars sell papers. That's true. It's also a callback to mass media. We've discussed that before a couple of times about how we see Henry with the manual printing press and Sam with the automatic printing press and yeah. things like that. Um, but wars do, in fact, sell papers, or they did in that time because he also makes a comment later in the episode that they are in the information boom era this is the only source they have to anything outside of their small world yeah well we also talked about which is true that um with the printing press and with springfield and you know newspapers becoming more prevalent um that that was the beginning of celebrities and he even says it has all the makings of a celebrity um sam says that so yeah totally which is crazy if we look at it like nowadays um like 10 years ago obviously we didn't have the access to information that we do now and media today is ever evolving there's always something new going on so like for me like i analyze a lot of like newspapers back then to like twitter today like now we'll have like freaking information at the palm of our hands within seconds of things and a lot of misinformation right? too right because you that too every, yeah every dick pickle that's my new word every dick pickle <laughs> and then and that's, like, that's not a gendered thing no, anybody and then can be a dick be pickle but saying their opinion and then putting out information like it's true and then let's be real though like you you mentioned like oh it has every making of a celebrity today you can literally become famous just for being a tiktok star yeah and that is that to me is is also just mind-boggling but it's the ever-evolving just form of media for us true true um one of the things i wanted to talk about with you guys is something that hit me pretty hard which was the centering of the white males and talking about what happened with the um, Harper's Ferry and John Brown and how, even though Austin says that that great line, which is no one is a failure who stands up for what he believes in, it's not about the black experience. It's not about what that was supposed to do, right? Which was supposed to start like this revolution. John Brown had like a constitution that he wrote um, and everybody is centering it on their own white experience and not at all talking about the black experience and what it might do like even when austin talks to um henry later in the barn it's mostly about if he's leaving but there's no dialogue about austin talking about what's going on for black people right now or you know it's all centered 
on the individual and whiteness. Did, did that ring true for you guys as well? I mean, we see that a lot today still. Oh God, we appropriate I mean, everything. I'm constantly- Culture, yeah. Yeah. Cultural I mean, preparation for everything. No, so this is not Dickinson related, but I will tell you, like I was sitting, okay, I, I don't care if it's controversial or if I get any sort of slack anywhere, like Elvis is obviously a legend in his own right. I love Elvis. I grew up listening to Elvis. I watched his movies, all that. But then sitting there, and I mean, I knew I knew the background as well. Um, but sitting there and watching the movie that just came out, Austin Butler, by the way, was absolutely brilliant. Um, just watching like, yeah, he grew up around black people or like he loved black music. He loved gospel. He loved this. He loved that. But then he would see a black person singing a song and he'd be like, wow, I want to record it. And then he would make hella money off of it and then it's just like okay for me that was like I was sitting in that theater and I was just like surrounded by white people I was the only like person of color in that room at all yeah and then I was just thinking I was like to think that the people in this theater aren't going to think about the fact that this was essentially cultural appropriation like he literally appropriated everything from his dance moves from his style from everything basically and capitalized on it and he was known as the king of rock like whereas a black man might have not have been as successful during that time oh would not it was true it was true because there was a part in in the movie where um i think it was little richard he was singing uh tutti frutti and uh he was like wow i would love to record that song and then they tell him, well, you'll probably make way more money than he ever will in his lifetime. And then he goes and records a song. Mm. Yeah, he, he was told that by B.B. King. Yep, B.B. Mm. King. And lo and behold, he went and recorded Tutti Fruity. And if you go on Spotify right now, Tutti Fruity is on his playlist. Yeah. So, I mean, but look, I love Elvis, but I mean, let's call it what it is. White man stole from the black man again. Yep. (laughs) And made it his, you know, and that that's essentially what this kind of like you put it so beautifully. Um, yeah, it's just appropriation of everything. It's like white people take things and make it theirs, and then instead of making the issue about black people, they make it like about how they are either supporting black people or other. Yeah. And I've had to, I've learned so much in the last couple of years um, because I center myself, like I'm an experiential person. So usually my knee jerk reaction to somebody when they say something happened to them is like, oh, wow. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. And it's like, but that is centering. (laughs) That is like not really talking about their experience. That's me. And that's, that's kind of how I would connect to people. And that's kind of, you know, whatever, but I've had to check that when it comes to a lot of things and being like, okay, are you centering yourself right now? Are you having a conversation about a shared experience? And are you talking about their experience? Or do you just have this social anxiety where you need to connect with people? <laughs> and you're like, me too. Um, but I've learned I mean, a but lot. But I feel like we all do as humans. We all do. We totally do. But I want to be 
you know, I want to be aware as, as aware of, as possible and not center myself, especially when it's talking about, you know, things that really matter that white, you know, we all need to be working towards, which is like equity, you know? I do feel like it's, it's still like, obviously like no one's perfect. So like I could talk about like my Brown experience and like a black person might relate but on different levels and we'll never all have the same level of experience with things. So it's more so just trying to centering it on the either black experience, brown experience or any other personal experience. It's weird. Yeah. Being a human is weird. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> being, being a human is weird and being a good human is hard sometimes to, to be like, to honor all the things around you, you know, I've just, this podcast has helped me. I'm just trying to be a better listener. So it's not just about me connecting or me this, but just trying to listen more. So that's helped me in those situations. What are you going to say, Jess? Well, yeah. Well, still following that same line of, of breaking down that scene you were discussing, even when Austin goes into the barn and finds Henry leaving Amherst and he's questioning, will he ever see him again? Uh, one of the most underrated lines that I feel was in this scene is when Henry says this country will have to be destroyed before it can be healed. Yeah. Which still rings true to now. Yes. <laughs> I felt that in my bones. Mm -hmm. And I want to say something that was like, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't, I don't agree with violence or I don't agree with this. But like when George Floyd got murdered um, by the officer, literally uh, before, I think, what was it? Before the trial, uh, there were all the riots and stuff like that because in, in our hearts and in our minds, we know that if we stay quiet, if we stay civil, if we stay any sort of way, justice won't get served. Not the justice we're looking for, right? So then all those riots were happening and people were like, oh my God, the looting is so wrong. The violence is so wrong and this and that. I have opposing opinions because that is in, in, in my mind, that is the only way we ended up getting the verdict we got with that situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about looting, but right. It's, you know, Megan and I had a discussion about that too, where I it was, was like, you know, it like was like minuscule loss. I mean, like I don't agree with like small businesses being looted or anything like that, yeah. but like when people I mean. were flipping out about multi billion million dollar companies being looted like they will not miss that money they will no, not no, miss no. that money but guess what george floyd that's a missing life we're never getting back yeah yeah no and that's what i was gonna say was that megan and i had a discussion about that and i was like look i get it but at the same time destroying a mom and pop isn't going to help the cause at all you're not you're destroying other lives and that's not helping george floyd at all I, but I do think we have to make a lot of noise and I do think, you know, whatever. I'm not a big proponent of violence for anything, but I'm also not going to judge somebody who needs to act in a certain way to be able to get attention, especially from corporations and things like that. Um, so, yeah. But we have to be loud. We have to be but loud yeah, about everything. We have to be I did. so loud about everything. Yeah, and that that did, like, that line did resonate. It's like, the country and we're still in that same position today like what we might not be in a civil war or in a war or whatever but like oh yeah we are 
Well, yeah, they're just not calling it, right? They're just not calling it that. But well, like, we're not fighting outright yet, but like we yet, totally are. Like yet, yeah, you know, but it's 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 something that is like the country is just getting worse and worse and worse, and then just things are just getting way worse. Like literally, I saw what was it the other day? I saw a TikTok, mind you, me, <laughs> me on TikTok. Um, I was on TikTok and I saw. Or no, I wasn't on TikTok. I was on Instagram and I saw a TikTok and it was literally, uh, the caption was like, they just they just came for abortion rights. They're coming for the gays next. Like, oh, absolutely. And yeah, and I'm just like, this is just, it's, it's this is, we're, we're, we're in shambles. We're in shambles. And it's like, when is enough going to be enough for us? Well, we can't, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other 15 podcasts yeah. because we all can't even we all can't even agree on what we should do you know what i mean like yeah systemic change everything else um i was just gonna say that i mean as far as there not being a labeled civil war i mean the i think the biggest misconception there is that we never left it mm. like we started it we just never we never stopped it was only the beginning and it was supposed to be the end at that time. And now well, yeah. we're still in the yeah, same situation. Yeah, things in this, in this country have not, whether it, oh, goodness, whether it was the Civil War, whether it was MLK, you know, getting shot, you know, segregation still being a situation. And then the government freaking, okay, let me not get into conspiracies, cut that part. Um, and then literally police brutality and stuff like that or immigration per se just things if it's not one thing it's constantly another thing like it's like the country is just trying to outdo itself with how much injustice can happen you know mm. yeah well okay john brown quote so i'm gonna go back to john brown who was executed in 1860 and he the last speech that he gave he said had i in interfered in behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, it would have been all right. And every man in this court would have deemed it an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. And I just thought that that was a beautiful thing. That's the last thing he said in his speech before he was, uh, and he was, it was, I think he was executed like two months later, which is absolutely true. But to be able to be um, convicted, he was convicted of treason and um, of murder and then inciting, inciting a revolution, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, so anyway, still rings true. Our country rewards and protects the rich and the people that have the resources and condemns in so many different ways the rest of us that do not so and is that faith system behind his revolution that that still unfolds today yeah i mean it still ripples throughout time where people yeah. are still having to stand up and as you guys said be loud you know what i think is really not funny but like we'll have conversations whether it's like at work or anywhere right like me and uh, like a group of friends. And then one of my friends says, what if we just all stop paying taxes? I was like, the chances of all of us 
doing that, like all of us collectively agreeing to like stop funding the government or something like like the the notion that all of us collectively will be on the same page and say screw all of this or to conjunctively all jointly like just agree to do something i was like this country's so divided that's never gonna happen yeah and even the different fractions are divided yeah except for, except for yeah anyway again oh, the uber God. uber wealthy <laughs> uber wealthy and then uber committed to getting their agenda mm -hmm. so we reach a point in the episode where sue <clears throat> meets with mary yep it's the first time we see her can i can i just say something scene? can i just say something can please? we stop you please no you can't you cannot <laughs> okay. actually all Go right ahead. um okay look let me snatch my edges to the side real quick hold on you will not be able to stop me listen we talk so much about snake this, snake that, snake, snakey snake, snake here, right? And then who do we always mention when we talk about snake? We talk about Sam Bowles. Baby, let me tell you something right now. There's not just an S in Sam, bro. There's an S in Sue, and that stands for snake, okay? All right, this episode, ooh, this episode had me pressed in some sort of way. Every time I saw someone on the screen, I was just like, you snake! I just could not I couldn't I couldn't watch that scene between her and Mary like it just like within me I just felt so uncomfortable. Why do you think she so, why do you think she went to to Mary? Not you, Jess. I'm asking Jess. Okay. Yeah. Oh. No, no, no. We don't get into it. Wait. Me and you have the same opinion. Me and you have the same opinion. Jay? It's because oh, she's right. trying to Jay, she's trying to speak for clear. Jess and Jay. Why do you think she No, went no, no. Mary? Jess can say it. She can piggyback off what I'm saying here, but look, Sue just did it to clear her fucking conscience. And honestly, I was just like, wait, you, this is- Wait, so you think Sue, to make herself feel better, went Absolutely. to Mary's- Oh, wait, 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 let me finish. Went to Mary's with the intention of still hiding the fact that she slept with her husband. So it would make her feel better by being in the same room with somebody who's like, she cheated on her husband. That was her intention? Yes, no. she went to no. that place. Oh, listen, okay, no. wait, wait. Listen, listen Let's, to Jay me. first and then Jeff. Go she ahead. went, she went there yes. not to like not she, yeah, she went there to make herself feel better. But I'm asking like, you, how do you feel better by being in a room with somebody you betrayed? Somebody who you went to school with, which she did in history as well. How do you make yourself feel better by doing it? To me. All right, I have a different opinion. I, I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't do that to make myself feel better. That is not denial. That I can't continue to denial if I'm sitting in the same room with this woman. I, okay, so listen. I don't know. I, all right, I've been cheated on before, all right? But listen, it's like, it's- it's. What does that have to do with making somebody because, feel better? Because, bro, like literally, I'm trying to put myself in the, in the eyes of somebody that has cheated on somebody literally it's like when someone comes to you as a woman that's a that's a term that i don't know if you guys are going to understand but literally they do it to stroke their own ego i don't even know but literally i was just what? sitting there the whole time watching the entire oh, no. freaking scene no 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 this no. Is my, okay. no this is my opinion this is my opinion you're trying to I'm put yourself in the no, position of the no chair. i'm not putting myself in her position or nothing i'm trying to look <laughs> i'm just trying to see it how for what i when i saw the scene and how i felt i felt okay. like she was a snake because why would you go why would you go i th okay well i have i have a reason why i think she went but 
Uh, Jess is literally go, Jess. Go, audience. Go. She's about to. Because I know, because me I'm just and you, gonna keep, I'm we... gonna filibuster her. No, go ahead, Jess. Go. Before you explode, <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Yes, she went there to clear her conscience, but my opinion is that she did it because she wanted to be punished. She sees it as as putting herself in a position to be punished. Okay. Even though Mary doesn't. No, 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 no. But that's how. That's what I meant. <laughs> Even be, though punishing yourself make you feel better no you, is I, don't that think, I don't 101 i never said she went there to make herself feel better oh, no, i said sorry, she went there to clear her conscience so by clear her conscience i mean penance she is going to marry i feel like she's gonna she's obviously not going to tell her what's going on but she knows mary's intuition well enough to know that she's going to be able to pick up on a few things even if it's not spoken out loud because she has that connection with mary but also she feels like this is a form for her to be punished because she knows she messed up she knows she slept with sam for the wrong reasons and she slept it to she slept with him to escape just the same as she's trying to be punished so that it's a form of her escapism so that she can completely detach from what's hurting her and try to go back home with a with a more clear mind i feel so that's what i mean like that's what i'm saying she's sitting there that she's sitting there like trying to lift this weight off of herself but I just, I, I'm telling you, I just sat there and I was cringing the whole time. I know you because saw Because I'm sleep. like, you are a, yes, yes. So she's admitted it to herself. And so she is putting herself in penance. You don't think she's going to go hope that Mary's going to be like, are you sleeping with Sam? Because she probably knows Mary won't say that because she knows Mary. Although Mary makes exactly. that illusion to like, he's, he's usually there for a reason. So you think that's why she went. And then what actually ended up happening was... She found out that Mary wasn't sick, um, that she had a stillbirth, which just really quick, the real Mary had 10 children and she also had three stillbirths. So she was pregnant for, I don't know how many years out of her life, but thanks, Sam. So, um, okay. You know, you know, yeah, I could, I could see her going to pay penance from, yeah, I could. So yeah, no, because like it's it's her holding herself accountable without saying it out loud. Yes, because she's just sitting there and I feel like she hasn't really accomplished anything. She hasn't said, oh, I slept with your freaking husband. No, but she's sitting there making herself suffer because she sees the painting of Sam Bowles. And then she sees like, Mary is literally like onto some, you know, smelling it basically like, oh, I know he's cheating on me basically and she's just sitting there sweating which she's the real mary making... did by the way the real mary knew about his adventurous spirit like whenever you look into it it's like um okay so i have a question does so then that shows that if she's trying to feel penance or get penance however that is so then she has remorse about what she's done correct yes okay so do snakes usually have remorse about what they do Look, you're not going to come no. out. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> listen. Okay, I'm, I'm listen, still. I'm did not you trying not to just hear me say? Did you not hear me just say she sat there? She did not accomplish anything because she did not say. She, like, if she was feeling for reals, for reals remorse, she would have said, Mary, I'm sorry, but I slept with your husband. No, she still, she still covered her own ass. I'm not dealing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay, so you're saying that Sue didn't have remorse about what she did. If she had no remorse, she would have said something. 
I think she was, no, I think she was remorseful, but also repressed. I mean, we have to consider the time here as well. Like these women are not typically in a position to say how they feel and what they think. And they're alone together, unsupervised. So they're going to speak a little bit more freely. And that's what ultimately ended up in that confession of the miscarriages and how they were able to, how Mary was able to help free Sue in that capacity. Yeah, I can see that. Well, you know, Jay, you can have your snake thing. I mean, I what? Who am I to? Who am I to say? I see a woman in a really. I'm glad I didn't live in the 1860s and 50s, or if I did, I don't remember it from a past life. And I see somebody who fucked up royally. Yo, look, <laughs> I don't, I'm I don't be real see with her you. as a snake, but like. It happens yeah. now. It happens today. I mean, look at Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson. Oh no, we're not. I mean, we're not bringing the Kardashians <laughs> to this podcast. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. I won't no, do no, it. I don't. Nope. I don't care about nope. them. But like, you see it, and I'm just like, yep. Look at that. Like, it still happens today and age. Women still put up with, you know, obviously being cheated on or you know infidelities. Like that was just like my only reference. Is what oh I was yeah, no, use. totally. It's like, and then you know we're still we're still stuck in the you know in the dark ages. I feel. Well, it takes a lot of courage to admit when you fuck up, and not all of us yeah. have that courage at that time. And so, whatever. I don't see her as. I mean, I, like I said, I see her gaslighting herself. I see her, you know, lost in doing what she has to do, and you know, she fucked up and she pays for it, but um you know it's i'm gonna just say for this episode i'm not saying she's a snake in general i'm just saying for this episode that is how i felt oh but we know you know jess is the austin apologist you are the sue apologist oh for god's sakes i'm not oh my god how black how easy i'm like and i'm just here for the one-dimensional are you making this conversation okay the, the whole term apologist is very one-dimensional. So I have issue with like apologist. I'm not apologizing for anything. As a matter of fact, I'd say Sue was a, if Sue was a snake, she was a snake at the spa. She was a snake at the spa. She had every, but I said had that every chance when they were sitting on that lounge to come clean and to be like, oh, Emily, and they were holding hands. So if there was ever a time where she was completely outside of her own nature, which I don't believe is snake life, but she, she gaslighted her there for sure. That's I mean, I said on. that too, though. I said that too during that episode. I was like, she was being snaky. I okay. said that too. I don't yeah. apologize. I don't apologize for people cheating. Well, I'm speaking, not of una- speaking of unapologetic behavior, Lavinia spider dance. Let's okay, go. so my favorite part out of that entire scene, I caught it the first time. I caught it the 300 times I've seen that scene since. She slaps herself in the face with that whip. <laughs> I'm gonna be real with you. I didn't catch it. I had to, whenever I watched it the second time though, the second time around, taking my notes, I had to rewind it because I I caught it and I was like, wait, did she just hit herself in the face? She and said, then like I replayed it and I was like, whack. I was like, my oh. whip. So I want to know what. So what do we know? Did we have we have we have we done any research? And if not, we have to for the next episodes of the real Lavinia because she was quirky as hell she made she did shows she did shows she she performed she was also a known mime so she put on shows for people she was she was as quirky as we think she she was you know what about (laughs) the men what about the men 
No. I mean, I'm assuming I'm assuming she has lots of boyfriends, right? Like, I mean, just like I mean. You mean with the braid, with the hair around the neck? I mean, <laughs> we're a long way from season one, Lavinia. That whole thing. That whole thing. I just wondered, as an adult woman, like as a as a I don't know, mid twenties or whatever, towards her thirties or whatever. Like, I mean, she had tons of marriage proposals, so I mean, she definitely had she had boyfriends. She had people that wanted to be with her. her. Did anyone taste her whip? That's what I want to know. Goodness. I mean, everything was so like, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, Victorian time. Anything could have happened. I think, you know, they were having seances. They were, you know, she was being a mime. Like <laughs> it was. how much yeah, we're, freakier can you get? Like we're about to be in the uh, Lavinia onesie. Are you my father era? So I mean, no, no, I'm no, pretty no, sure. Only a minute to get to that. I was like, Wait, oh, the knitted what? pod. I the love knitted, that. The knitted pod. Yeah, exactly. I hope I, one day. I hope one day in my lifetime, I get to meet Anna Brishnikov so I can ask her about that because it was all improvised, and I just need to. I just need to know, like I'm just, behind the scenes. Like, where did you reach need, for this? Like, just, <laughs> we need BTS. We need a Dickinson box set. No, I don't need behind the scenes. I just need to actually ask her directly. I'm, please tell me <laughs> what you set. did. What you did. All right. Moving on to episode 10, You Cannot Put a Fire Out, and we all know that, directed by Silas Howard. So I wondered, that whole line about like things burned down all the time in the 1850s, I tried to research to see how many fires there were in Amherst (laughs) in the 1850s, and I couldn't find it, but there was a great fire that was in 18, I think it was in like 18 thoughts. Uh, Well, we know that the kids did it. (laughs) (laughs) yeah just in case there was anyone wondering who set the fire yeah i'm pretty sure and it was nice to see austin i thought austin was a good dad in that moment i feel like we got foreshadowing of like he might be losing it whatever and he also got to be a stand-up guy right he like we're gonna rebuild the church and he went back and got somebody who fell and it was his time to be a hero so i thought that was really nice i thought that was really nice for him while his wife was ravaging his sister but um <laughs> that he did not know but you can't put that fire out either so you got those two fires and then we have sam being his disgusting snake self always eating always asking for food um and always had that half beard did he never have that shadow beard that's so annoying that is super scratchy too but like you know that that like quarter grown out beard did he ever have that? Did he ever stop eating during the entire show? Those are my questions. Did he ever stop munching? <laughs> Seriously, he's always eating everything. The way he bites into that sandwich in, mm. on the train, which I was really he de- glad. He devours. He devours. That is what he does. And that whole thing about he's a feminist. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's tap into that conversation for yeah. a second. Because You know, when prior, he said that? Yeah, just prior to him calling himself a feminist, she tells him he's the devil and that's the context. But the conversation they have prior in the house when he says, don't let your emotions get in the way of your career. That's what always happens to women. She tells him she needs her poems. He says, no, Emily, you need me. You have no power without me. That was a statement in and of itself in in how the world still works today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, as I said, compared to what the state was as far as like civil war goes, 
um we never like left that mentality we've been at war since so we've also been waging that same war within feminism within cultural standards within you know gender you know it's just still rings true today and it's it's strange how they were able to correlate so many things in this show that would have a standing now that still stands firm today but again nothing's changed i mean nothing's changed the men's you know men still rule the world in many ways men still out here controlling women yeah and women's bodies and what we do with them yeah so and that's part of how they do it definitely i i love all the kind of memes and stuff going around about um when they're showing women being hysterical or, or they're talking about or no they're showing the difference where they're like women are always hysterical and it's always showing women in court like being super calm and then you see you know like kavanaugh and all the little all the little dick pickles like screaming and looking like whatever so yeah that whole argument super disgusting but maggie saves the day because maggie always does because yeah good knows how to be invisible yes yes loved it i was so happy love maggie i know and also mvp they, they um you know are still alluding to that thread that they started about her eyes and about not seeing things correctly and so she says i can't look into you for fear of going blind um love that just 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 hmm what's your theory about her eyesight and her her vision and her sickness okay so we're aware of the fact that emily had bright's disease we're aware that she had vision problems but what what's not too highly publicized about her story is that it was believed to be indicative of epilepsy her her you know side effect some of that vision loss that aura that she experiences that what we interpret in the show a lot of times is to be part of her imagination mm-hmm. but you have to start somewhere so if it's epilepsy which we know that i'm familiar with and the jay's familiar with uh, we both suffer from it but unmedicated you typically get this aura feeling right where you feel like it's going to happen and you're about to slip into some kind of unconsciousness. I still get it. So I'm, me- I'm medicated, but whenever I am about to have a seizure, I can feel it. Like I can sense, like my body just feels off. And I just like, I feel kind of like almost out of my body. Mm, and I get yeah. this really, really bad migraine and it does mess with my vision sometimes. Mm. So, and I can always tell right before I'm about to get one. Yeah, I remember reading about this theory because um, our little guy had um, childhood epilepsy, which we think he's grown out of, but he was on medication for a while. It started out as febrile seizures, febrile seizures, and then kind of just became heat related and et cetera. But um, we hope he's grown out of it. Seems like he has so far. But uh, I rem- yeah, I remember m- my wife and I reading all about that. Um, it's interesting. And then them relating to some of the poems that she's written. Yeah, but isn't it weird that like some of like the biggest people that we think of like Emily Dickinson could have possibly had epilepsy or like Julius Caesar could have he could have suffered from epilepsy, right? It's yeah. it's crazy that we won't like know for sure because medicine back then were was just not was just not it. 
Yeah. What was seen as something a little bit more supernatural as opposed yeah. to what we see it. Well, what we see science as now was considered supernatural in that time. Oh yeah. In the so, 1800s. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, doctors may have spoken with her about it, but not entirely understanding what epilepsy, because I mean, even now there's so many different kinds, there's so many different variations of, of what it is and, yeah. and what it is for each individual. It's different for every person. So, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'm just saying like, it's, it's very possible that she had it and it played a role. I feel like it played a role in the show itself. I feel like Elena went, use that as a as a kind of a compass when it came to her imagination that's really interesting Jess you should ask her in a tweet <laughs> we should ask uh, her Jake, I'm like whenever her. she whenever she decides to get on Twitter um on Twitter I just saw <laughs> no her. I mean Jess <laughs> oh, oh. No, right um yeah. that'd be interesting I'd love to know that from her because I don't because she does have like this ex- ex- extensive like she's researched emily dickinson oh literally forever and ever and ever so uh, yeah i think i will absolutely send this tweet on behalf of uh yeah, the just entire podcast i'll do it on the twitter uh podcast twitter and Ooh. literally say hey we have a question we just discussed this on our last recording can you riddle me this batman uh did emily dickinson have epilepsy well or, or was this something or yeah was this something that like you know, was taken into consideration when it came to filming, like what that lens would look like. Yeah, like an as far as yes, like so. No, actually, throwing it back to um, episode nine of season two, I actually think I really enjoyed when obviously she's on the ground, um, and she is. I think what song is playing? It's um, love with the lion that one yeah i literally hold on i know what song it is though i just i was thinking about this right before i put it yeah i put it on my notes it is uh the fool by joy downer Mm -hmm. it is a beautiful song that i really loved and i thought it was so fitting as every single song on the dickinson you know soundtracks or like you know just anything that they do is amazing right but um we see her and then we see these obviously she mentions later in that episode that her mind feels like it's split and then the way we're seeing her yeah the way we're seeing her transition from reality to the thoughts in her head just that weird like like i know you guys see it the transition and the shift and the shake that you see like it's really unfocused and like the breathing is heightened and everything is I just, I, I think that's a beautiful, like, I guess, thought to think that, yeah, it could have been epilepsy. It could have been something that's like, oh. you know. I just, yeah, it's interesting because I just, when I saw that, it just reminded me of when my mind couldn't get off something. And sometimes in a good way, like when you're first in love with somebody and then you keep thinking about like the night last night, you know, and like, like cle- your mind cleaves. I mean, I've had times where like, I cannot stop thinking about something. So that's what occurred to me, but that's interesting to think. Yeah, that. no, but the way her, her mind was cleaving and the way she was going into those thoughts or those visions per se of 
what she saw, what she's experiencing, it's almost like she's having this like panic attack and like it's heightened, like everything is blurry, everything is wobbly. Hmm. The breathing is like heavier. Yeah, could be. Totes. Well, let's ask Elena. Okay, so in episode 10, one of my all time favorite scenes of the entire series and my favorite poem of Emily's collection is in this, right? And so my, my note says, Sue finds Emily in her bedroom, exquisitely empty, violins tsunami. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. And then of course the poem, but like she dealt her pretty words like blades. <sighs> Gets me every time. That entire time. scene was literally, everyone can talk about all the fruity moments. That's great. That's lovely. But literally the acting that happened before the fruity moments, can we just round of applause, people, round of applause. My yeah, goodness. That just was, that was great. Sometimes pain is beautiful. Well, I just I think that like for me, the best moments with Emily and Sue, and there have been many, 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 are when they are allowed to just go for it in many ways. Be it a kiss or like in that scene. I feel like that was um. I could, I just felt them really in that. And I felt Ella Hunt really in it and playing off of Emily and that they were totally in that moment that they both talk about how, when they're acting together and they would find these moments, it's just like those two people are there. So I think that that was just beautiful, raw acting. Um, I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I did want to say that I, I wanted to ask you guys about your anticipation of that scene, because I think all of us were like, they need to get together. And I don't need to see explicit sex on TV. I don't need this and that and this and that, especially it's Apple TV. Mm-hmm. But, but I do want to say that I was, after seeing that scene, I was hoping that we would have some like uncut those two together, just like their first kiss, right? Well, their first kiss was cut, but like a little bit, more raw and i love what they did because i think it was very poetic and beautiful and we have beautiful shots and i don't i'm not saying i'm disappointed but i am saying that i wish i could have seen what they did in episode i well actually i was anticipating what we finally get in um season three i will say before we get into what i think about you know obviously emily was sobbing sue was sobbing i was sobbing um but uh I don't know like you you mentioned you're like I didn't feel a need for like you know obviously I don't need to see explicit you know sexual situation happening I after episode nine after re-watching season two and then just re-watching episode nine I obviously you guys know how I feel I was I felt Sue was a snaky snake so then like after watching episode 10 I had very like mixed emotions about the whole situation because I was almost upset at Emily for easily forgiving Sue but then again I was just like you know what the freaking fight scene before that this all happened like this is what I'm living for I don't entirely care so much that they made up but like just that scene alone like them basically just going 
in in rap terms bar for bar <laughs> with each other you know toe to toe really just like going at each other's throats that was what i felt was a necessary evil if you would say right um i didn't really care too much for the for the love scene afterwards anymore which you know the first go around when i watched it i was like oh my god i love it give me more but like now i'm just like yeah i just needed that pain a little bit more mm. um i can definitely agree with wanting things to be a bit more visceral in the sense that like give me that drama like i need that angst to drive that scene home like I, what <laughs> you're laughing i'm like i'm like so when you said when you said give me that drama i'm just thinking that's how i was and i'm like we're both fire signs it's like give us that drama please we just need we need to suffer a little bit yes oh my gosh. i needed i needed to see that beautiful <laughs> suffering before but i did only on a lighter note only put three notes down for that whole scene i put fruit ninjas <laughs> bathtub flowers and maggie did it for the sapphics because she absolutely did maggie our sapphic supporting queen we love it she did it i just think that if you have been denying your feelings for an incredibly long time and had penance or given penance or whatever and then <laughs> this person finally says i love you and they finally say it to each other and i've had you know that after that again those two are so great when it's just let them go and love scenes are really hard to film i mean i know ella talked about this for the last one they are really awkward and difficult to film it's very choreographed it's like whatever i mean but you can let the actors kind of just go for it and i wanted to see that that thirst that they had for each other of like these two have wanted to touch each other for the entire season and so i was like oh oh with the kiss and then when we came back i was like wait why is her why is the thing already open? How'd she get? And then, yes. And then we were on the yes. stairs. And again, I think it was very poetic. I thought it was a beautiful poem. I was going to say. The way they shot it was a beautiful poem. I just really could, I, I needed, like, part of me just really wanted to see that, like, the first time they really touch each other. Like, the I was just going to say, really like, did. Sue had so many buttons on that damn blouse. Okay. <laughs> Listen. And I just, I like, as soon as we cut to that little, I was like, yeah, damn, Emily Dickinson has you the fastest hands and Amherst. The they might have started hands. filming it. They might have started filming and just be like, oh my God, this is going to take forever. Because, you know, it would take a really long time to like, to do that. But <laughs> so again, like, who am I to like, say anything about directing? Um, like we're out here saying, you know, Emily Dickinson was a lesbian, like, damn. <laughs> I know, I know, look, I know they be saying lesbians got fast hands, but I didn't think they was that fast because Emily Dickinson, the way she unbuttoned all them buttons, like. she been waiting for a long time. She was waiting for a long time for that. So anyway, I don't know what that accent was. <laughs> I don't know who that was. Yeah, no, but yeah, that I was just like, uh, yeah, Miss Dickinson uh, has the fastest hands in Amherst because that was yeah. ridiculous. I don't know. There was like, what, 30 buttons on that damn shirt? Yeah. Yeah, and she treated it like it was a zipper. You <laughs> oh maybe she just did that like with her thumb. Beep. Maybe she just popped all the buttons up like beep, 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 beep. plus yeah, I don't know. Interesting. But I don't know because I don't think I don't think clothes was as easy to take off as it was to put. I mean, obviously they needed people to help them put it on. So 
I just wonder like what it must have been like back then where it was like, hang on. Hold on, let me hang on. Here we go. <laughs> look, all there. I gotta say is, like... is that I'm I'm just glad they took a bath. Like, I'm like by the, look, that by was the my time, concern. Like listen, I'm glad they bathed. By the time the foreplay is over, I what? don't even want it anymore. Like wait, you're glad they bathed? <laughs> I don't Yeah, they, like that was the- that was my takeaway. Yeah, because I was like because of fruit. Man, no, not because of the fruit. I mean, because of the fruitiness that was going on. <laughs> they needed a oh, bath. Right. But come on. I mean, in that time where they only took a shower like once a week, if that oh please don't please no. Please don't um, go there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but literally, like all the clothes that they had on, like I'm just thinking to myself, by the time the foreplay is over with, like I just don't even want it anymore. Like well, Maggie had a lot of time <laughs> to set up that. So it was a whole spread. And she's like, she could hear it. And then she heard, I love you. She was probably in the hallway, like with the meat that she was gonna give Sam. And that like weeks she, ago. she heard so anyway. Uh, yeah, she all so the she's books like, falling off the shelves. She's like, oh, I better go. I get they're going to be hungry. So then she goes downstairs <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is taking a long time. Are they still? Oh, they're still going at it. And then she didn't come down the stairs and she's like, oh, I better go in the kitchen. And then she's in the kitchen and she's like, oh, they're shoving food in each other. OK, they're going to be dirty. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a bath real quick. Oh, and then she picked the flowers. So we're talking Maggie's quick. No, she started preparing for that shit the second that she handed Sam that sandwich. Like and she Sue. immediately started prepping. I mean, yeah. who let she Sue immediately in? started prepping? She saw Sue go up and she's like, okay, the church is on fire. <laughs> no one is home. Sue is upstairs. No one's home. It's party time. Motive met opportunity. <laughs> it is party time. I love the carpeting. Mm in the dining room and that was like the only shot that we've ever seen of it it was really cool (laughs) i have that note love the carpeting um once again plug for the production design i have to say one thing before we wrap up i do not put a lot of stock in mass appeal awards but i am absolutely i am literally shocked that no one no talent on dickinson was recognized by the emmys like none I find that really shocking, regardless of how like popular it was or the audience or anything like that, like with the amount of production design that's literally going to be part of history at the museum, the dresses and, you know, forget about the talent in front of the camera. I'm just really, I'm not surprised. I just think it's crazy that we have like shows like Euphoria that like as controversial as it is, like has really, really rough writing. Like the writing was not that good this past season and they're getting, you know, all this recognition. I mean, obviously Zendaya, brilliant, but like a show like Dickinson deserves so much more. I I mean, who has like, seriously, and I mean, it's not just because I love the show, but like the depth of history, right? The depth of research in it, like the, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I just think it shows that it really like Emily is ahead of its time and that I feel like it's almost like doesn't recognize that I feel like it's almost like Emily Dickinson just like working from beyond the grave like no I said I didn't want my poems published and now you're trying to give me an Emmy no (laughs) like she just refuses (laughs) well it could be that you know again the television academy is how much percentage white cis male so straight male so 
Once again, going back to male keep, men keep just, <laughs> white men just keep fucking shit up. <laughs> I'm still kind of I think we just need to create our own like award show, like I'm strictly ran by women. I'm telling you. Something like that. All right. Oh, one last thing too. <laughs> I was going to crack a really bad joke. No. Like, you know, when we say the SAG Awards, I was going to say, we should just name it the Vag Awards. Just The Vag Awards. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> I kind of like that. But what would the acronym stand for? Because SAG is Screen Actors Guild. So what would V-A-G stand for? It's not an acronym. It's a short <laughs> vagina. Yeah. Vagina. No, 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 no. I get that. I get that, but I mean, like Screen Actors Guild S A G, right? Yeah. What would you... I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it well, out. The Emmys, eventually. the Emmys aren't like entertainment mass. Oh, wait. Yes. Emmys an acronym? I think I think Emmys is an acronym. <laughs> oh my god! Acronym. Look it up right now. Emmys. I mean, what else would it stand for? I never thought about it. Wait, hang on. Let's do this real time. Emmys stand for because it's a tell. It's anyways, the Television uh, yeah, Academy I'm, I'm, of Sciences. Anyways, I'm copywriting this and I'm gonna run with it. We're starting a woman's uh, award. Okay, hang on. The name Emmy derives from Imy. I don't know. I M M Y, a nickname for Image Authoricon, a camera tube used in television. The Emmy Award statuette consists of a winged woman representing art holding aloft an electron representing science. Well, there you go. So it's not an acronym. Really <laughs> you guys feel better? I feel really, I yes, feel really better. Yes, I was, that was going to keep me up at night. <laughs> right? Are we wrapping this up? Anybody got anything else? Jess? Oh, I cut think, you off for did anything? we want to just cover one more thing? I, and I think this is just something that just had uh, Mr. Dickinson who? thinking like towards the end, like who? where he was like, <laughs> who? Mr. Edward, Eddie? <laughs> Mr. Uh, Poems himself. Are you talking uh, about Eddie? <laughs> about Edward's premonition of the church burning and his oh. like realization that Emily's visions could be parallel to his and that Emily is not as insane as they thought, which I thought was foreshadowing for season three. Oh. Uh, like oh, and also Abby says, same sheep, different day. Yes! It was... <laughs> <laughs> completely skipped in the episode because it was in passing and i was like <gasps> just next time i go down to texas we gotta make a, a like set aside some time to go get matching sheep tattoos <laughs> oh there you go what yeah we gotta go get like little matching sheep tattoos and put them on our wrist oh that's so cute if we do that i want to get like the little serta sheep that thing is so cute <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? The one that's on my pillow. Get a sponsorship? Yeah. The one that's on my pillow. Yeah. That is really cute, Jess. I'm down. Jess, why I'm are you down. so cute? I'm so down. All right, folks, you heard it here first. Everybody's getting sheep tattoos. Ooh, ooh. I was just thinking that I think that that's a great metaphor for the show, like about how history just keeps repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Different shit. Wait, what is it? Same. Wait. Same sheep. Same sheep. Different day different day yeah they were looking at the painting and yep. it was right when when ship walked away from Vinny, right? right and she says i'm a shrewd yankee witch you know that's yeah. what she tells him and that's when they pan over to abby and she says oh, same sheep different day <laughs> and i was like this bitch <laughs> hiding in the corner saying some smart shit
Always saying some real shit, though. Always saying some real shit. Yeah, she's the truth sayer. I forget the name of that, what that character is. but All I know is Abby Wood is the truth, is the motherfucking truth. <laughs> All right. I think that wraps up tonight's episode. Just a quick little message. Uh, we want to say thank you for listening to us. And you can follow us on our podcast Twitter at the number four evermore capital p o d and you can follow us on instagram at dickinson.forevermore.podcast we also want to let you know coming up is our third and final season for our podcast it's also going to coincide with our season three dickinson rewatch super excited about that maybe a field trip here and there to the museum you never know but i will tell you this we have some amazing guests and we will be teasing those out soon also, new music by Jay coming for the podcast too. So join us next time. And again, thank you so much for going on this ride with us. Well, oh, I forgot to tell you that we are going to be doing YouTube live with this one. So hey, everybody, <laughs> look at Jay rolling out of bed. Hey, hold oh, on man, I'm just uh, the coffee. Out. The coffee was more important than doing my bed right now. So. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. Yeah. I was like, do y'all want me to be a dandy person or not? Like, <laughs> please always be dandy. Oh, we lost Jess. <laughs>